0: One of you filled in a little card probably last week and said that you'd like to do something a little bit different with the hymns and um, would like to sing the Psalms, but no name on it. So I don't know how to sing the Psalms, so maybe somebody needs to, to show us how to do that. So don't be afraid of putting your name on these requests because uh, it gives us someone to dialogue with as I mentioned earlier, I've come back from a pastor's retreat, a big emphasis on planning and strategizing. Uh, sounds very dry and boring, doesn't it? But it was quite interesting. And then uh, good devotionals from John Bradshaw. <clears throat> he's not an Aussie, but he's from New Zealand. Pretty close and uh, quite a lively fellow. So we had a good fellowship together there. And as we move into the new year here at Anderson, then we're looking to God's blessings, right? Believe that God is able to be in charge of the church and guide us in the right direction. This morning, we're in the Gospel of John. So take a Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So we're in the New Testament. Divide the Bible. Most of it is Old Testament. A little bit is New Testament and um, I do actually have some sermons that I've never preached here on how to study the whole Bible and how to approach the Old Testament and how to approach the New Testament and how do they tie together so maybe that would be interesting one day to deal with that though we will touch on interpreting Scripture I heard what you said Carla about your friend earlier and uh, may have a few suggestions this morning that might help. John chapter, did I say the chapter? No. Just see if you're listening. Chapter 5. Chapter 5. Let us pray as we open God's word. Holy Father, we don't always thank you for the importance and the significance of your Bible. And we know that not all of your thoughts are in there, but the most important things for us to have a right relationship with you are. So help us to study in the correct way and may this message this morning, somehow some way, advance your kingdom and work to your honor and to your glory in Jesus name, amen. I had a number of different uh, titles for my sermon. might help you know what direction I'm going. One of them was The Son's Jesus Christ Credentials. Another one was Why Trust Jesus? Another one was Are Jesus Claims Credible? In John chapter 5, picking it up at verse 31, it says this Jesus is speaking, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. In Jewish thinking, no one could testify about themselves and have any legitimacy. In court, you always needed two or three witnesses. That's not just in the Bible, that is in what we call the Mishnah and the Talmud and books like that, Jewish books outside of the Bible that are Jewish that um, guide us to think of what the Jews were thinking over the centuries. So Jesus hits on that in verse 31. If I just testify or witness about myself, my testimony or witness is not valid. What we're going to look at this morning, um, understanding that we need two or three witnesses, I believe we have four witnesses at least in these verses that I'm going to go through this morning. So we want to look at what these witnesses have to say. And as we're looking at what these witnesses say about the Lord Jesus Christ, I want us to think about some of those titles. Can we really trust in Jesus? How do we know that Jesus is kosher? How do we know that what he says and what he does truly represents God? That's the idea remember jesus did not go to the schools of his day he was one-off he was a homeschooler didn't fit into the mainstream in that sense some of them of course knew where he lived and thought of him as a nice person but certainly not the messiah so all the way through this section here and earlier in chapter 5, and in chapters 8 and chapters 9, even into chapters 10, we have this struggle to really understand who Jesus is and if he is credible. It says in verse 32 there is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. If you had a little quiz this morning, who would that other person be? So when I asked the the Spanish-speaking folks this morning, some of them said, John. Some of them said, who else? God the Father. Some of them said that. So those are two of the four witnesses this morning. So let's take John in verse 33. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Now, we know that John is writing this, but the John he's speaking about is John the Baptist, who came from the desert and testified to the truth. Can you remember some of the things that John said? He said, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Repent, believe the gospel. Behold, the Lamb of God... Remember that at the baptism or close to the baptism? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus has to be baptized, John said, whoa, I'm the one that needs washing, not you. So John had a lot to testify. In fact, one of his testimonies for the truth uh, cost him his life. So he was a bold, courageous man who called sin by its right name and paid the ultimate price for that jesus says in verse 34 not that i accept human testimony but i mention it that you may be what saved keep that in your mind as we're going through these verses jesus wanted every one of these jewish people to be saved jesus came to redeem the human race right or wrong past those that live before jesus present those who are listening to jesus future including us all human beings everyone even mother mary all of them he wants to be saved he came to seek and to save who the lost The lost. Why are we lost? Because of sin. Because of sin, you and I cannot even get the basics about God correct. Think how in civilization, in different cultures, how they've tried to understand God. Many, many, many gods, even an altar to the unknown God in Athens. Bright, Spiritually brilliant people philosophers in Athens Even an altar to the unknown God Covering all the bases, but there's only one true God who Jesus Christ came to rightly Represent anyone that has a problem understanding God the Father just needs to look to Jesus is the Father Jesus is the Father Jesus? Is Jesus the Holy Spirit? Jake says no. Some on this side say yes. So let's talk a little bit about the Godhead. Maybe I should just change my sermon right that, right now. You know, they say a preacher has to be uh, flexible and able to do that. So let's talk about God. Sometimes we use, Christians use the word Trinity. Is Trinity in the Bible? No, not as a phrase, but the concept, the idea is. So I tend to use the word God or Godhead when I try and explain these things to people. So the Godhead is here, God is here, and the Mason family is here. This is an illustration to help you possibly to understand it. There's other illustrations out there. So we have the Mason family and in the Mason family, there are a bunch of children, but we'll take just one. We'll take Nicholas, my, my youngest boy. So in the Mason family, you have Terry. Who's Terry? Any children out there who know t- who Terry Mason is? That's me. So in the, in, in the Mason family, there is Terry. There is Cecil, my wife. And there is Nicholas. Is Nicholas Terry? Terry is Terry Nicholas. And Terry's definitely not Cecil. Cecil's definitely not Terry. Okay, so we can understand from that simple human illustration, that family illustration, and you can put your own family name in there, that there are three persons, at least, in the Mason family. Each one is distinct, each one has their own personality, but they come under the umbrella name of Mason. Now it's not a perfect illustration, but it might help you to understand a little bit about God. In in the Godhead, we have God the Father. We have God the Son, who we call Jesus Christ, and we have God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father, the Father is not the Son. Yes, there is an indissoluble unity and harmony between each member of the Godhead, but they are distinct Personalities. It was not the Father who died on the cross, nor the Holy Spirit, but the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm sure the Father's heart and sympathies, empathy was there. And, there. and there is scripture that shows that, but it was Jesus Christ who died on the cross. So it's very important in the Gospel of John, especially in this chapter and chapters, the chapters that I mentioned, Earlier, 8, 9, and, and 10, where they're questioning Jesus' credibility, his credentials. It's a very important theme that he says that there's one very important witness, and that is the Father. All right, so John the Baptist is our first witness, and Jesus talks about another witness, and in verse 36, we see that other witness. we get to that I'll just finish these verses on John John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time very interesting the way it's worded you chose for a time to enjoy his light it's kind of implicit there that they kind of gave up on John too quickly or they didn't really apply the message of John perhaps the message of repentance like they should have done so that they get saved because here it seems to be that they're not saved and jesus wants them to be saved verse 36 i have testimony weightier than that of john for the very work that the father has given me to finish and which i am doing testifies that the father has sent me so i see another witness here which in this translation says work The miracles, the teachings, the doings, the dyings of Jesus also are a testimony. Now, if you've been brought up in a Jewish home in the first century, there's a very good chance that you would misunderstand great sections of Scripture, and you would misunderstand the most important part of Scripture, which is that Scripture points to the true Messiah jesus christ almost guaranteed that you would have that wrong because there was such a great emphasis uh, looking at the messiah the messiah coin has two sides one side of the coin which was strongly emphasized in this early part of the first century was that messiah will free the jews from their enemies from the romans so that side of the vengeance the justice the warring God that will come back to set things right um, was what was emphasized in first century Judaism the side of Isaiah 53 where he was the suffering servant even though it's there in Scripture very clear very strong was not emphasized now when Jesus comes back the second time then I think we can pull out all of those messianic passages that were used by the Jews uh, in the first century. God is coming back in Jesus, of the second coming, uh, for a time of judgment, for a time of dealing with his enemies and gathering his righteous together. So here's another witness, his works. Now, some of the miracles that Jesus did are already mentioned in the Gospel of John before we get to these verses here. So one of them is in chapter 4, where it talks of the official son being healed. But I want to take you to the beginning of chapter 5 of John. We don't really have to read these verses. I'm just pointing them out to you to show some of the great works that Jesus did that he's actually being criticized for, totally unwarranted. You know, if you misunderstand someone's teaching, that's one thing. But if you've been a man paralyzed for 38 years, and someone like Jesus comes along and heals you through God the Father, isn't that, I mean, how can anyone argue with that? Isn't that a glorious thing to, to, um, to praise God about? But notice in chapter five, they say in verse 12, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? They're not rejoicing in the miracle of the healing. Their concern is not with the man, with the human being. They're concerned with is with their rigorous observance of the seventh-day Sabbath. So one of the things I want you to look at, and I'll say more about it in a few minutes, is how do we understand biblical teaching? Now think of these Jewish people. Were they religious? Yes or no? Yes, they were very religious. They believed in the Bible, and they they studied it very, very diligently. Believing things like the seventh-day Sabbath, as as we do, careful about diet and fasting and uh, alms and tithes and offerings and all of those kinds of things. They were really strong on the letter of Scripture or the law but not on the Spirit. And we have this same problem in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I suppose in a way it's almost inevitable any group of people that lay a strong emphasis on law-keeping and obedience, and of all Christians, probably Adventists do that more than most, very, very easy for us to come across legalistic. Is there anything wrong with keeping the Sabbath in the way that is pleasing to God? Obviously not. But if we start to add our own standard to God's standard, then we get into a whole heap of trouble. And that's was what part of the problem in first century Judaism. And sometimes it's a very fine line to walk. And you can see Jesus walking this fine line throughout his whole ministry, three, three and a half years. The fine line between truly being obedient to the demands of God, including his law, and yet everything being affected by grace or tainted by grace, if that's the right word. Tainted kind of sounds negative, doesn't it? Everything coming under the umbrella of grace. Sometimes hard to get that balance and i suppose if you're not saved if you are saved if you are converted if you are born again if the life of god is in you then you have a pretty good chance if you're into scripture and you're walking in step with the spirit you have a pretty good chance of getting it correct anyway so another witness here also remember his baptism the voice spoke to him. We believe from God the Father. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So there's another witness. Witness of the Father, verse 37. The Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me You have never heard his voice nor seen his form nor does his word dwell in you for you do not believe the one he sent so big emphasis not just in this verse but in many verses throughout the gospel of john on the father and the son are one in unity in purpose now verse 39 Another witness. So we've had the witness of John the Baptist, the witness of the work or the miracles of Christ, the witness of the Father. Now here's another fourth witness. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about who? Me. And yet you refuse to come to me and have life. it's not enough to just read the scriptures is it important to read the scriptures yes but it's not enough just to diligently read and search the scriptures there is there is like a golden thread sometimes we call it a scarlet thread that runs through scripture and these are bible texts that seem to focus especially on the lord jesus christ let me give you one possible one in deuteronomy chapter 18. so we have genesis exodus leviticus numbers and then the book of deuteronomy the fifth book in the old testament and we're going to pick it up at verse 15. The context, um, the scriptures has just spoken about the, the terrible, terrible things in spiritism. How to avoid that. And then in verse 15, it talks about a prophet. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, says Moses, from among your own brothers. You must what? Listen to him, just very similar to what God the Father said at Jesus' baptism. You must listen to him. Why must we listen to this special prophet? Why, who we believe is the Lord Jesus Christ, at least I do, ultimately the prophet of the prophets. Why must we listen to him? Because Jesus is God's final word to the human race. We begin with Jesus the Alpha and we end with Jesus the Omega all of Scripture even things we wouldn't even think of have an amazing way of testifying about Jesus Christ so I would put it this way Jesus Christ God of course but revealed through Jesus Christ to save the human race because remember that's primarily what the Bible is about the Bible is not to tell you all about world history even though it has a lot of history in there. But the history that it has in there is the history that affects God's people. So it's very specific, very localized history. It's not a a book of geography. So if the only book you had in the world was was the Bible to understand the geography of this world, then you wouldn't have a complete picture. It's It's not a Bible encyclopedia. It's a very specific collection of writings that points to Jesus Christ and tells you and I how to have a right relationship, a saving relationship with God. Verses 18 and 19 I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, I will put my words in his mouth. So it's not just the son coming up with his own words, it's the father's words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. In other words, there'll be negative judgment for the one who does not believe and listen to the words of Jesus Christ, which very much could mean these Jewish people, that's in in Deuteronomy 18 verses 18 and 19 that I just read so verses 15 18 and 19 speak of this great prophet who believe is the lord jesus christ who will come okay so there's a witness a scriptural witness to the lord jesus christ and there are other texts that we could use as well um if we liken jesus to moses type anti-type you've heard of that when we talk about the sanctuary system sanctuary in heaven sanctuary on earth type and anti-type so we have the same thing with moses and jesus moses like jesus christ left a position of glory moses in egypt jesus in heaven to redeem his people like moses jesus christ was full of wisdom yet spent many humble years in obscurity like moses jesus christ was a prophet deliverer a judge and the lawgiver like moses jesus christ controlled nature calming sea and miraculously feeding multitudes with bread and like moses jesus christ interceded for his people and was willing to be blotted out for their sins like moses jesus christ was rejected by his own now they didn't kill moses but they did kill Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. So we see similarities between Moses and Jesus Christ. And that's gonna be very important for the next few verses that we talk about. Let me also mention before we deal with those verses, and show you how much Jesus Christ is is mentioned in Scripture. Now remember, in Jesus' time, they only had the Old Testament. There was no New Testament at that point in time. So I'm going to show you some texts. I'm going to go through them quickly from Old Testament and New Testament. Adam knew him, Jesus, as the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15. Jacob knew him as Shiloh. Moses knew him as the Great I Am, Exodus three fourteen. Abraham knew him as Jehovah Jireh. Balaam knew him as the star out of Jacob. Joshua knew him as the captain of the host of the Lord. Solomon knew him as the wisdom of God. Job knew him as my redeemer. Isaiah knew him as wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. To Jeremiah, he was the Lord, our righteousness. Micah knew him as the ruler in Israel. Matthew knew him as a savior from sin. Mark as the son of the Most High God. Luke as the great physician. John as the light of the world. Peter knew him as the son of the living God. Paul as the author of eternal salvation. And Thomas as my Lord and my god and obviously i have to ask how do you know jesus christ do you know him in a way that these jewish people didn't know him to them jesus is something outside to the believer jesus is someone within Let's uh, continue reading in John chapter 5. You diligently study the scriptures, verse 39, because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. You can have your head full of biblical knowledge. You can memorize every text I just read, and there's many more. But if you do not appropriate what is offered to you. I was speaking with one of the pastors from a large church in our conference, and he says, you know, this is a general statement that I tend to agree with. He says, our people have a tough time applying truth to their lives. There's a huge distinction between knowing in one sense what truth is I'm thinking of preaching a sermon on perfectionism, and I've been kind of rolling that around in my mind, and I believe I'll try and do that next week, God willing. I'm gonna use an illustration about a gentleman who joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church as a young man, and the jigsaw pieces seem to fit together The doctrine seemed to make so much sense, but he was never converted. But he became a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. And it's a very interesting story, so I don't want to give you too much today in case I use it next week. But how can you become a Seventh-day Adventist pastor and not be converted? Any of you ever read a Seventh-day Adventist classic book on Joseph by C.B. Carlisle B. Haynes? Yeah, some of you know that name, maybe have even read that book. Carlisle B. Haynes is another person. I, I do believe I've talked to this congregation about him in the past, maybe quite a long time ago. But there's an article in Ministry Magazine that really just took my breath away and still does to this day, because this article outlined how Carlisle B. Haynes totally missed the point. And how he climbed the ranks of Adventist leadership for many years before God finally got a hold of him and converted that man. How is it possible To be surrounded by all this truth. And no one had more truth than the Jews in the first century. Salvation is off the Jews, scripture teaches. And yet, if you do not see Jesus and embrace him, you miss the whole point. It kind of sends shivers down my spine when I even think about it. There shouldn't be any Seventh day Venice that I or you meet. Who is not born again because if they're not born again if they're not converted if they don't have the life of god within them and not only know that jesus forgiven their sins but also declared them righteous and have the life of god in them which is the power of god unto salvation that every area of their life is touched by the life of god they know what it is to resist temptation. They don't just resist it because they have strong willpower. I think of some of the things I did as a young 20 year old. And I suppose if someone would have come to me and said, Terry, we're going to give you $20, but we'll convert it into British pounds, because we're now in England. If you will stop swearing for 24 hours, I probably could have done it but I couldn't change the pollution in my heart, right? Only God can do that. Only conversion can do that. Only being born again and daily as God is working out his purposes in your life, which we call holy living or sanctification or whatever label we want to put on that. To me, it's the life of God. Salvation is much broader than most of us think. It takes care of your past. It takes care of your present. It takes care of your future. What God has destined you for, He is able to accomplish in your life. All of that and much more is included in this word, uh, this concept of salvation. So we can apply some willpower. We can limit our sinfulness because of The norms of society, the expectations of our family or the organization that we belong to, or whatever else it may be, the place we work. But we can't change the human heart. Can a leopard change its spots? So only God can do that. And verse 40: Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. One of the great concepts in the Gospel of John, in all of Scripture. This life that we're talking about is not just some intellectual subject that we can discuss. And we do need to do that. One of the uh, concerns of the pastors is we, we heard the conference mission statement and vision statement and the areas that they want to, to deal with, eight areas that they want to deal with. We'll share more of this some some other time. And I was asked to sit in a group with pastors to deal with number one. And number one was about the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, all Adventists are agreed on what good news of Jesus Christ is, right? Wrong. Very wrong. So yes, I can take you to to Seventh-day Adventist literature, and if I'm selective, and maybe lead you to some of the primary literature, yes, I think we can find some uniformity on what the good news, the gospel, really is. But when you look into mainstream Adventism, you find there are many gospels. And every pastor in that group knew that. And then they also had in in, on the number one that we need to emphasize the grace of God. Bring a little bit of balance into it. Emphasize the grace of God. So we wanted definitions. Maybe it's just because we pastors and we we know some of the problems in our local churches, but we wanted sp- specific definitions. What do they understand by good news? What do they understand by the grace of God? Which really is a byproduct of what the good news of Jesus Christ really is. It's been an issue for a long time. 1888 general conference session, God tried to bring some correction, some balance, some understanding to that subject. He actually wanted to do more. God didn't just want us to have uniformity of understanding, which in some main issues is kind of important. But he wanted to bring revival. He wanted to bring reformation to our leadership at that very important general conference session. And it didn't happen, didn't happen. Maybe if it would happen, you and I wouldn't be here to talk about it, but it didn't happen. And here we are many years later, still talking about revival and reformation. It won't happen, folks, unless there's repentance in our hearts, there's a full embracing of the Lord Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. A willingness to share him in the marketplace. All of these things are are basic ingredients. Anyway, verse 40, you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Have you ever wished to read someone's heart? Now, let's be careful here. Ultimately, we don't really know if someone's converted or not. But Jesus himself says, by their fruits, you will know them. So if we were going to have a sermon on true prophets, back to Deuteronomy 18, this special prophet, or looking through the line of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so on, Who is a true prophet? If you lived in the time of Jeremiah, would you have known who the true prophet was? There were many prophets. What would you soon hear? You'll go back to Jerusalem in a few years. God's going to take care of you and bless you. Or no, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. Now there was one, at least one true prophet who preached the truth of 70 years. That was Jeremiah. Most of them were false prophets who preached something smoother. So if we had a sermon on true and false prophets, that would be worth, that would be interesting to hear that. Then we would see the test. How do you know? How do you know what's true? Now we're applying that to Jesus this morning because these Jews are seriously questioning the legitimacy of Jesus' claims. I guess a lot of people maybe outside of the church, some inside the church also Question that too. So we need to know what is true from what is false. I didn't know that at 20 years of age. I had, didn't have the Christian background. I didn't ha- hear the preachers. I didn't hear messages like this. I didn't know anything about the Bible. Now, in one sense, that's not a problem for God because He is above His creation. Some of you studied that this morning at 9.30. And he can work in many ways, dreams, visions. There's many groups of people on planet Earth that have no Bible, literally do not possess. Many of us have five, six Bibles, but do not possess one Bible, maybe not even a portion of Bible, maybe never even heard of God's holy word. Can God reach them? Yes, he can so here's secular me living my secular life doing everything that's supposed to make me happy and a voice Jesus had his voice at baptism Moses talked about listening to this special prophet who we believe was the Lord Jesus Christ you would actually be amazed how many times in Scripture voices supernatural voices speak To human beings can even speak through a donkey and what did that voice say did it give me a profound explanation on what the gospel of good news and grace is no read the bible three words three words that you can ignore at your peril or three words that have the possibility of leading you to eternal life I jumped up off my bed i went to my bookshelf i took down a bible that i was given at 15 for five years it had gathered dust i blew it off blowing that dust off that bible was like god blowing dirt out of my life i wasn't saved but i was searching and i was on the right path searching 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 couldn't get home from work fast enough used to cycle to work Get home, read, read, read. I was still boozing, I was still drinking. Some of you know the story, so I'm not going to go over it here. But it does fit in very well in what we're speaking about this morning. Because it wasn't that long, I don't know how long, weeks maybe, before I was face to face with God. Didn't see him. At this point, didn't hear him. But he was there, and I knew it. How do you pray aren't you supposed to pray in a certain way close your eyes fold your hands bend your knees if there is a god i asked i said if there is a god how much faith is there in that statement is there mustard seed faith if there is a god if these things are true and before that prayer was finished before that thought was concluded god moved in and took over We call it being born again, being converted, being born from above, having the life of God within you. It's beautiful. It's sweet. It is literally life-changing. Every area of your life, if you study scripture the right way, and it is our responsibility... Not just to encourage people to study the Word of God, but to show them, to disciple them, to show them how to study it the right way. That's what Jesus is doing here in verse 39, which can be expressed in at least two different ways, indicative or imperative. But the point I'm making is when you get into that Word, you better be looking for Jesus. Otherwise, you will misinterpret it. It's very easy to go to Scripture just with the Sabbath truth, which as we, we looked at the, the miracle that Jesus did and was done on the Sabbath. How dare anyone, how can anyone say that they are from God and do a healing on the Sabbath? Well, is that a, is that a correct understanding of Scripture or is that a misunderstanding of Scripture? We're not questioning the correctness of a Seventh-day Adventist. We don't question the correctness of the Sabbath. But how do we keep the Sabbath? Is it a day of redemption and healing? Or is it more of a legalistic thing where the ax of God is just ready to drop on the one that walks too far or dares do anything like pick up their mat that they've been sitting on for 38 years. I wonder if he changed his mats. 38 years, that's a long time, right? What's the most important? Truth or people? That's a tough one, isn't it? Because they're both very, very important. But truth has to be tailored to help people. Scriptural truth is not truth for truth's sake. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Left my watch up there. How are we doing? I better wrap up. I need a little bit of grace here scriptural truth is practical truth it is not ivory tower theologians I don't care how great they were Isaiah I would consider probably the greatest of the Old Testament prophets besides Moses Um, the Apostle Paul I would and John I would probably consider as very great Apostles of Christ followers of Christ and what they wrote in Scripture but it's not some man or woman sitting in their ivory tower, giving us a systematic theology of what God teaches. It's not like that. Bible is not like that. The Bible is a practical book. A lot of it is emergency writing. Now I'm sure there were times when prophets had opportunities to sit down, but we can see with the Apostle Paul, a lot of it was on the run when he was busy, busy, busy pastor, and just would get some message off because he was concerned with some problem. So. That's what I mean by scripture being practical to lead us into a saving relationship with God. Not to straighten us out or more important to give us every single truth that can possibly be learned about God and His kingdom. No, in the Bible we have enough for salvation, enough to get in a right relationship with God, enough to keep us on track, enough to lead us to glory. We have more than enough. In fact, The challenge for you and I is to live to what we know, not to try and fix everything that we don't know. You do not have the love of God in your hearts. 43, I came in my Father's name and you do not accept me. And if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes only from God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses. Whoa! Has Jesus got their attention at this point? Because they greatly esteem Moses. On whom your hopes are set. There you go. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? sometimes I think that it's pretty challenging in 2013 to witness for Jesus Christ there seems to be a hardening there seems to be a secularization of our society um, maybe mass hypnosis because of the TV or whatever but it's not as hard as Jesus had it the embodiment of truth here is the extension of the father coming to planet earth, his God coming in the flesh, and they fought him every inch of the way. John Bradshaw told us a kind of humorous thing, almost a little sad though, dysfunctional Christian behavior. How he once was in a church, I think he passed through the church, Um, where if someone fell asleep and I think you all look like you're awake at this point if someone fell asleep the head elder would get up get out of his chair and all eyes would be on the head elder now preachers still preaching away doing his thing and he would go to some side room and he would bring out his pole which had an extension on it and of course expecting him to say Well, he's going to prod the person that's falling asleep, right? But no, he doesn't say that. He says he prodded the preacher, which I assume meant the preacher wasn't preaching his heart out well enough so that people stayed awake. So he says, if you pastors think you have it hard, just kind of remember that guy digging his pole into my ribs. We don't have it as hard as Jesus, but we do rightly represent Jesus, and we can expect Satan to fight us every inch of the way. I believe in my heart of hearts, I don't believe I ever could have become a Christian unless the Word of God, and especially the revelation of Jesus Christ, was credible to me. And I hope that it's credible to you. And we have young people here who are going to grow up, Go through their teenage years the young adult years and they're going to be severely tested we have many many young people that fall by the wayside many middle-aged Adventists that fall by the wayside kind of scary to think of, of that as, far as the future is concerned we know that God can revive them we know that these dead bones can live again right Amen. but we have a challenge all of us have a challenge, not just our young people, to, to know the truth, to see the truth embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to surrender everything. We are literally staking our lives on the truth of the Word of God, right? Because we can prove nothing. Yes, experientially, like that brief account I gave you, truth can, can become embodied in our life so that it becomes very real and life-changing for us and we should all have that kind of experience not in the same way but we should all know that god lives in me he's not just up there in some heavenly sanctuary or on some pages of scripture he has walked across the bridge of sin into my life we should all know that And i would encourage you as you leave this building today and as you share however god gives you opportunity share a living christ with people talk about what jesus has done for others and has done for you let us pray gracious god we do believe that your son jesus christ is very very credible very authentic And we thank you, Lord, for these witnesses that we've heard this morning. Maybe there are others that we could think about. Lord, as we interact with your word, whether it's by sharing it with our friends, sharing it verbally, having our own devotions, I pray, Lord, that you'll be very real in each encounter that we have, that you'll be the living Christ. And because of that, that we will have salvation. We will have your life. And Lord, to know Jesus Christ is indeed life eternal. We thank you. We don't deserve it, but we thank you for it, Lord. May we rejoice in our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.